gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of the most electrifying must listen to podcast in sports entertainment. Welcome to FFC. I'm your host, Damian Ellinghouse, accompanied as always by good friend and lover of strong pyrotechnics and minimal swerves, the EST of FFC, Ryan Doyle. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. And we're not here alone today, Ryan. We are joined once again by other good friend and lover of deep, dank, dark, smelly beats, Matt Brescia. Ladies and gentlemen, it is so good to be back. So good to be back. Well, we are here for a very special pre-honeymoon episode of FFC because yours truly is going to be MIA for the next three weeks. And so we wanted to give a little present to the people, Ryan. That's right. Damien is taking his ball and going home. He does not want to wrestle Brock Lesnar on free TV. So this is his... uh, It's a mania caliber main event match. You can't just put it on free TV. I don't get paid to do shit for free. I don't get paid at all. So I'm leaving. And so (laughs) being that... Our next episode will probably not happen until May 8th, 9th, something like that. We wanted to give you guys a little bit of a quickie here and do a little recap on uh, NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver and WrestleMania 37 at Raymond James. And we have a little special new segment that we're going to try it at the end here. So let's hop right into the goods. The goods, Mm. Matt. Let's hop Mm. into them. That's a pun. That's a pun, is what that is. What are we drinking, gentlemen and gentlemen? Well, right, so- I'm drinking a ubiquitous classic. That's right. It is the Montauk Juicy India Pale Ale. And what I like especially about these is that they come in a pint as opposed to your standard 8 fluid ounce can. And uh, it's good, honestly. It's tasty as fuck. Um... The price point's good. It's like 18 for a pack of four. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Montauk Brewery. They have, uh, I think it was with our Desmond episode, Damien, that he was drinking a cold day IPA. I was drinking a uh, Wave Chaser. He was drinking uh, a seltzer. Oh, right, but he was he got hammered off of cold day IPA the night yeah, before. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Well, there's a coincide sponsor right there. Yeah, there you go. How about you, Matthew? All right. Well, uh, last time I was here, I was rude. I said I was drinking coffee. And then I pulled out a, a Miller Lite. You know, what kind of gimmick is that? That doesn't put an ass in a seat. You know, Miller Lite's great. No disrespect to Miller Lite. But uh, I figured today I'd give you a little bit. Uh, I'm a heel. I brought coffee again. No, that's that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. No, I brought, I brought a, a, a seltzer. I got a, a truly black cherry lemon. No. That's a joke, too. That's a joke, too. Um, Fucking Carrot Top over here with his props. It is is WrestleMania, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it is, is, you know, WrestleMania was yesterday. But uh, I figured, getting the spirit, went down to my local uh, Belmore beverage, and I got me an El Segundo Broken Skull IPA. Because it's WrestleMania. And let me tell you, if you're a fan of IPAs, this is a damn good beer. Like Stone Cold, he's the beer drinking guy on TV. He knows his shit, man. 
excellent beer. I love this. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be drinking these for the rest of the podcast. I am a big fan of the Broken Skulls. I was very pleasantly surprised the first time I had them because I agree. Not too hoppy. Goes down smooth, a little too smooth. I love it. A good replacement for the Steve Weisers. And I am drinking a fun little ditty here. I've got the Tropically Hoppy Brooklyn Pope Art Hazy IPA. This is a fun little six point something percent hazy IPA. So we know there's a little bit of milk sugar in there, probably brewed with some citra hops, I'm guessing. 6.5% ABV. Just a nice, fruity, effervescent experience. Love it. So we crack. And we sip. Oh, yeah. All right, boys. Well, there's no time to waste, no chit to be chatted, except for the showcase of the immortals wrestlemania 37 but before that uh i think that we gotta stand up and deliver a round of applause to nxt takeover stand and deliver uh i believe this is the first is this the first two night takeover right that is correct and it's the first takeover that was two nights and was on not a friday or saturday night Yes, that's right. It was on Wednesday, their very last uh, Wednesday night show before moving over to Tuesdays uh, and then Thursday. And I got to tell you, top to bottom, these cards fucking delivered. These were some really, really high quality fucking matches that we got on Peacock commercial free. Did everybody get a chance to watch them? Yeah, I uh, I think I was actually pretty responsible with my wrestling watching this week, and I actually got around to seeing mostly everything that I could. And if I wasn't paying attention, I had it on. Uh, it's like you said, the cards were stacked, man. Everything mm-hmm. was good. Everything was good. Before it happened, everything was good. So that's yeah. how you know you're, you're up to something good, you know? Yeah, honestly, this is probably the best takeover since New Orleans or uh, Philadelphia. And yeah. that says a lot because I know a lot of people were kind of worried. Not worried. I mean, like, I guess they were hesitant at the direction because it's kind of like NXT was kind of in a lull after they made the move to USA. And people were like, oh, I guess the luster is kind of gone. And nah, man, <laughs> never cease to amaze me that NXT, you know, they may take a one or two pay-per-view break, but give it like six months with them and they're good to go. They're rejuvenated and their roster is uh, replenished. Uh, we have enough to talk about doing full recaps of 37, but um, honestly, there was not a weak match on either of these cards. Um, the Pete Dunn Kushida match to open up night one was just terrific, a terrific technical bout. Kushida proving why he remains one of the best technical wrestlers in the world. And if you have not had a proper opportunity to introduce yourself to Kushida over the last couple of years, when you could argue that he hasn't had quite the push maybe uh, that was expected. I highly recommend you go back and watch any of his legendary junior bouts uh, in New Japan uh, against Finn Balor, against, uh, Prince Devitt, I'm sorry, against Kenny Omega. Uh, just, you know, top tier guy. And Pete Dunne, what's there to say at this point? Pete Dunne's fucking great. The Bruiserweight always delivers. Uh, to, I just want to say Pete Dunne has got to be like... I don't care how tall Pete Dunn is. 
that is a big intimidating man he has such an aura about him and to to pair him with Kushida in a match is obviously you know you got a lot of guys that love the art and like in-ring technician stuff it's a great match it was excellent you know you just you, you got what you wanted it's just guys beating the crap out of each other in such a technique oriented way i would say you know it's funny when they first did the promo for the nxt uh uk tournament that they had a couple years ago as soon as the camera flashed over pete dunn i was like yo this guy looks like a fucking asshole and i was (laughs) right because he uh caused a bunch of trouble if i remember correctly and uh sure enough he was probably the best one out of that group next to tyler Bate, and uh he's just been on an absolute run 100 percent and I think that those uh those old Pete Dunn matches, like, what would you what would his character be without those? Because every one of them was was just a, a slobber knocker. The guy just looked so good for so long that he made he made the the intense nerdy wrestling fan like uh, a fan of his. Because, like you said, you look at this guy and you're like, he better be all about this mean mug, this shit eating grin that he gives you all the time. And he is. He really like lives the character that he is. And over the years, it's just. He's so good, man. He's is so absolutely excellent. And out of that class, yeah, he's the shining star for sure. Very, very good to see him getting that shine. Um, and then, you know, the Gauntlet Eliminator match, really great. NXT, uh, after a little bit of a lull, really starting to build up some good um newer talent for them. Uh this was the takeover debut of uh LA Knight, or as people may more well know him as, Eli Drake. Former TNA champion. Uh, this is a dude that if you watched TNA when it was, you know, popping off, he was all around. He was in NWA. He had a cup of coffee in WWE for a little bit, but this is him coming back now. Uh, but, you know, everyone in this match comes out looking like roses, and I texted Ryan watching it, you know, the next day. Dexter Loomis is their fucking top guy of the future. I love everything about Dexter Loomis. I really do. I say of the future, you know, he is, he's, he's 37, but, um, he's a great fucking guy on that roster. And I really hope that he gets some shine soon. Loomis he's is just 37? Such an or- he's 37. Yeah. Damn. Really? I, he, was I, all- he looks good for his age, man. He, he does. was also another, uh, another TNA guy, uh, and OVW. Um, but yeah, you know what's good, uh, man? Like, you need those kind of, like, eternal characters on shows. And, like, Dexter Loomis, he's not going to need the title really ever, but, like, his character is always present. He has, like, that great look about him. He's a hell of an artist. And uh, same thing goes for LA Knight, dude. I loved him in NWA Power. Oh, man. One yeah. of the best promos in the biz. And on TNA, too. Dude, honestly, one of the best talkers in the biz Again, not going to reinvent the wheel, but he doesn't need to because that's how good he is on the mic, and I, I'm excited to see where he's going to go moving forward. 100%. You, know, you you talk about the look of someone. Dexter Loomis is that look where you're like, oh, shit, this guy better be as good as he's looking right now because he looks like a killer, like an absolute killer. And, uh, yeah, I, I he's one of those. He has an aura, and the aura is, should be preserved. He needs to always look like that, that absolute psychopath. And whatever it was like the third episode of power there's like a little like one minute promo that eli drake cuts 
that like always like when I think when I hear LA night now and I I think of that promo it's just something so simple you know he just got to fill camera time but the guy's a legend you know he's like it's so he has like Dwayne Johnson levels of just saying the right thing at the right time with like you know like signature charisma and intensity and him in NXT I hate the name I I miss saying Eli Drake but it's okay that you could say LA night um, but you know, he's the, the only thing that this guy has to do right now is win you over on the name LA Knight. Cause if you know, Eli Drake, you know, he, he's got everything he needs, man. He's got the full toolkit. I agree hundred percent. And then, uh, Walter versus Ciampa, just a 17 minute Hoss match. You know, you know who Walter is, you know, who Ciampa is. The Blackheart came back in style. Uh, Walter retained as we knew he was going to, but sold the hell out of that right uh, hand injury and just what's left to say about Walter at this point, man, he is one of the few superstars that I do think whenever they go to, whenever he goes to the main roster, it's going to be, I'm going to be hard pressed to see how he does not make a lasting impact up there. Cause he just has such a fucking presence. Uh, you know, what's great, man. Someone mentioned the other day, like if there's a man to beat Bruno's record, and he's not going to do it with the heavyweight championship, but if there's a man to beat Bruno's record in terms of a title hold, he could certainly do it, man. Talking like a couple thousand days. Talking a couple of... thousand days, man. Uh, you know what? You're this far. You can't do you. You need this much from when Walter won the. He, he took it from who? Tyler Bate or Pete Dunn? What Pete a, Dunn. What? Pete Dunn. Pete Dunn. Right. He takes it then. You need that from from then to now. You need that much amount of time to catch someone up to Walter's reign if you're going to do it again. If you're looking to make a modern-day statement like taking Bruno's reign and and making it a thing, I think a lot of people are already comfortable. You just look at the guy and you think about the title belt. you know. And and Pete Dunne, how long did Pete Dunne hold it? He God, was bro- pretty close. Pretty close over to two years. Over a year, yeah. Yeah. So, it's a, yeah, if, if you're going to do it with anybody, especially in WWE as a company as a whole, do that. Put that man's face on that belt if you need to. I think it's just, it makes a lot of sense. I agree 100%. And then the triple threat tag team for the vacant NXT tag team championship after um, Danny Birch and Oni Lorcan had to vacate due to injury. Uh, MSK, or two thirds of the Rascals, uh, defeated Grizzle Young Vets and Legato del Fantasma in another real great match that showcased all, showcased all of the talent there. Uh, MSK is a tag team that people who watch wrestling have known about for a while. So this was just kind of them really having their coming out party after starting in the dusty classic. And, uh, you know, I, I expect a good face championship reign from them. And then Raquel Gonzalez going over Io Shirai, uh, in under 13 minutes for the NXT women's championship. Io Shirai, um, you know, NXT has done a pretty good job of booking their women's champions as like strong and intimidating one way or another. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have all the fuzziest, fondest memories with Shayna Baszler's reign, but it was effective. My biggest issue is that she won it back from Kyrie Sane. Uh, but aside from that, Raquel Gonzalez came in, started clearing house with Dakota Kai beat EO in the war games match and had a real star making performance in this match. EO sold her to fucking death. And we finally are starting to see an injection of new blood in the WWE women's rosters was where we're going to see in WrestleMania as well. Uh, great, great first night, great match overall. 
Yeah, I really don't know much about Raquel Gonzalez, but she did a hell of a work in this match, honestly. So, yeah, uh, and yeah, it's somebody sure. new, you know. It's like meaning that it's not an expected name on the roster that you would expect to win the championship. If I'm, am I correct with that? She's 30 years old. She debuted in the May Young Classic in 2016, uh, but it wasn't really until 2020 where she, you know, she's kind of been in the performance center. So. This is a true, you know, a true young, hungry superstar getting a push that's deserved because she's being booked like a monster hero. She looks the part. She's strong, um, you know, and and Dakota Kai is a really great person to team her with because Dakota Kai's heel turn, one of the more impactful in NXT's recent history. So it's Agreed. it's just good to and and it's and I love Io Shirai. Io Shirai is one of my favorite wrestlers on the roster. And she's the same age as Raquel, believe it or not. So it's not like young blood went over on old blood, but EO's been in the title contention scene for well over a year now, helped carry it through the pandemic. Um, it was the it was a good time to take it off of her. Uh I would not be surprised if EO moves up. Um, but we'll see what happens. So then going to night two, um you had Killian Dane and Drake Maverick defeating Brizango. Uh, for a future championship match. Um, that was on the pre-show. Santos Escobar and Jordan Devlin in a ladder match to determine the undisputed NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Jordan Devlin never lost the belt. He got injured. Santos Escobar picked it up as the leader of uh, Legado del Fantasma. Um, but Devlin continued to defend it afterwards. And so we had very akin to um, the famous Intercontinental Championship match between Shawn Michaels and Ryan Help Me Here. I think this is a solid match. No, um, no help, Ryan. Um, I didn't hear that last part. Sorry. I needed your help. I said, who was the other person that Shawn Michaels was in that ladder match with? Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon. The thank bad you. guy. There we go. Go on, Joe. Uh, I thought this match uh, was actually really good uh, because Escobar is just like, this guy is like, he's so good at the part, man. And, and Jordan Devlin's like, obviously no slouch. The guy's a fucking lightning bolt, like in the ring. But mm-hmm. I think Santos Escobar is, like, really good. Like, the way he wears this title and the way he has worn it up until this point will be, like, a real legacy-defining thing. Like, it, it's kind of... Not that it's nothing, you know, but it is a lower belt. It, it's how well you can make something out of nothing here. And I think that this guy is... He's the image that you want for it. He looks great, and he's a monster in the ring, and... You know, he has this, like, dark, sinister vibe to him, too, that, like, really aids the character that I think um, he's a champ, man. He looks like a champ, you know? I agree. Um, He's been around the block, worked for CMLL, AAA, and Lucha Underground uh, before working Impact and then come to WWE. But I agree 100%. He He looks the part. It was a great match. And it doesn't take much to book the cruiserweights, the junior heavyweights, uh, in a more dominating fashion. I mean... You, you saw it with Neville and his reign. So it, it's not hard to build somebody back up if you give him proper time, which is kind of Santos Escobar's whole thing, that he's brought it back to the mainstream, brought it back to the main card. So I think NXT is the right place for it right now. Right. Yeah. I, I was thinking that they should do a light reboot on the uh, Cruiserweight belt. I don't know. I guess it's always just going to have that tag with it. You know, even if they brought back the light heavyweight belt, I guess it would just be the same thing with a different name. But, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but like in WCW, didn't they used to have the cruiserweight guys go against the, uh, like the main event guys every now and then? 
Well, you look at like um, which uh, I, I'm I'm gonna bring this up again at some point, but you know, watching the Jericho being on the Stone Cold podcast, and yeah, we'll we'll probably get into that. Um, they bring that up a lot. How Jericho's uh, you know, a cruiserweight in his in his early career, and that's inevitably gets pit against Goldberg. Like they did that a lot. There's yeah. no reason you can't break that. You know, what is Rey Mysterio with one without being a cruiserweight, like like a dominant force in the cruiserweight scene, and two, fighting all the big guys. You know, you made that guy a star, and he's still the littlest guy in the company, you know, and he still can, you can put him toe-to-toe with any giant because you told that story already, you know, and that's really important, and I think that they should continue to do that. I agree. You the same thing with Eddie. Um, they They do it all the time in New Japan as well. Um, it's a great way to build people up. So I, I, I'm with Ryan. I think a soft reboot would be appropriate. Let's see what they do with it from here. Then you had the NXT women's tag team championship match between Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart versus uh, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell as the women's, ver- uh, the women's side of the way. Once again, NXT does not need its own women's tag team champion, but regardless, it was a good match. Ember Moon and Shotzi retained, uh, which leads us to Johnny Gargano defeating Bronson Reed uh, after Bronson Reed won in a, the Eliminator match the night before for the North American Championship. This is a great match. Johnny Gargano continues to be one of the best guys on the roster, hands down, makes anybody look like a million bucks. Bronson Reed, fucking big, pulling out moonsaults, but in a very... He makes me think a lot of the way that Vader would bust out exactly his athleticism. Exactly what I was going to say, dude. Um, very much the same way where he is a big guy. His, he's a brawler by his nature, but he's not afraid to bust out the high impact move. If the match calls for it, um, Gargano retained, but the future is bright for Bronson Reed. I think for sure. Yeah. You could tell they're Um, extremely high on him and this isn't going to be the last of his opportunities. No way. he uh they, they gave him a big win over a lot of people man i think um i think that says enough you know and he didn't need to win the match he just needed to be in the match you know johnny gargano is such a good champion um and, but you know bronson reed's the new kid in town man and like you said he's absolutely an athletic machine and he's twice the size of anybody else in nxt so it's just like it's a great character you know he hits cool moves he hits different stuff not even like high fly and stuff he hits he hits some uh cool uh like i think he threw like a razor's edge or something in there that that, that they called out it, like which is just like yeah dude keep doing it you know and vader you could see the vader comparison big mm-hmm. dude flying high you know absolutely which led us to the co-main event carrying cross versus finn balor for the nxt championship carrying cross six months ago having to relinquish the title immediately after beating keith lee for it uh due to injury finn balor taking it upon himself to put that title in the whole roster on his back. Uh, the last six months have arguably been the best stretch of Finn Balor's career, arguably going back to his time in bullet club. Uh, it surpasses his first reign in NXT. You could probably say his immediate re- uh, debut on the main roster and winning the universal championship was huge, but I don't think I have seen Finn Balor this engaged, this strong, this just uh, invigorated in a long time. Karrion Cross, and, and honestly, Karrion Cross is a guy who, in a lot of ways, looks a little green, looked a little lost at times. Uh, but 
Finn and him put on a real clinic. Finn playing mind games the whole time, trying to enrage Karrion Cross, getting him angrier and angrier, and Karrion Cross pulling out, going full Kratos and just fucking massacring Finn. Um, this was a good match. This was a real coming out match for Karrion Cross, I think. Yeah, it was almost good that he had this match as opposed to the one with Keith Lee before he got hurt, because like this is like a re reintroduction to him. And I think it was kind of obvious that he was going to win, but it was important for him to have a solid match. And, you know, obviously the credit goes to Finn Balor for just being an absolute master artist at his craft. But yeah, man, I, I, I like the character. Like, like Damien said, he's not best in the world, but I think that he's going to be a solid champion moving forward. And I am, I am interested to see where, uh, you know, Finn goes from here. Like, do you think, think he's going to stay down in NXT, or do you think he's going to make some moves? I think he needs to stay down in NXT because of how much he loves it. You see it. He just loves it. He, I think it was like you could tell it was his choice to go to NXT. And, you know, and I think you could tell then. You could keep telling now because of just how just perfectly in tune he is with this, this the Finn Balor with the X. You know what I mean? Like, that. this era of Finn Balor is, is, uh, is really cool to see. It's very very prince devitt you know it's very uh, uh like um you know being on um what's his name shoulders and on, uh, on bad luck folly bad, yeah. bad luck folly's shoulders like i i see that in him it's the same type of character but modernized and aged to perfection and uh carry across this is is in my opinion that's the best match of his career yeah i, I, I i'm gonna make that claim i think it 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 takes someone like Finn Bauer to have the best match of your career, obviously, but there were two people in that match and it's uh, you're sold on the character. Him and Scarlet have this, this chemistry chemistry and this evil look to them that like people just don't have. It seems very, it's almost like weird, like a, a weird throwback archetype of a character for carrying cross, but still very modern, you know, still very modern. You're, it doesn't feel old and tired. It's, but it still has that, like that very, uh, historic, like King and queen vibe to it of, of them that it, like, they speak this weird in a way royalty about them and him taking the belt makes so much sense, but I don't, I didn't see him taking the belt at the beginning of this. To tell you the truth, I thought they were kind of going to drop the ball and Finn Bauer was going to go a hey, next victim. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad he did. It makes a lot of sense. For him right move, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and Finn, if Finn has reestablished himself as a top tier main event talent, whether he's got a belt on him or not, whether he's an NXT or the main roster or new Japan, Finn Balor, Prince, D- Prince Devitt, this is a guy that everybody wants to wrestle. I, I agree a hundred percent. And this was a real star making performance for cross. I agree. Probably the biggest of his career. And um, I'm excited to see what happens from here. And then finally, more than doubling the length of any other match, an absolute fucking slobber knocker between Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole. This, you want to talk about resolving a blood feud. You want to talk about a blow-off match. I don't know what fucking match they could have after this that is going to top this behemoth of a performance from both of them. I mean, Jesus Christ, what a main event. Yeah, how could you top this? Honestly. It was 
it hit every single mark them uh, uh, both of their themes suck now uh i will say that <laughs> i don't know which fucking theme is the other they're trash but uh, that aside uh both of them looking like fucking killers the the security guards splitting them up and just how vicious this match was this is truly two dudes that understand each other better than anybody else and just 40 minutes of brutality spot after spot adam cole making kyle run into the fucking chain while out while having it outstretched running the ropes the final blow on kyle o'reilly wrapping his fucking shin and knee in a chain and dropping it on adam cole's neck through a fucking chair adam cole dropping kyle o'reilly through the the stage and then kicking the stage apart to drag him out i mean <laughs> it was my god there's <sighs> asbestos everywhere <laughs> you need a I, permit I, for that i mean wow you know we're, we're 30 minutes in so we we, we got to get to mania but boy i gotta tell you ah, this this was truly a spectacle to watch and this was truly one of the best matches in both of their careers, which is really saying something considering how good Adam Cole has been, not just in Ring of Honor, but since coming to NXT, how good Kyle O'Reilly was in New Japan, in Ring of Honor, in NXT. This was an all-time great fucking street match, death match, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you know, it's funny, and let me know if you guys agree with me. Uh NXT obviously pushes the envelope a little further than the main roster does. For sure. But in the age of where on, you know, past matches on YouTube where any like headshot by a chair is like blanked out, it's like a no-no these days. It's interesting to see like how much they'll actually, you know, push the envelope in terms of like violence, I guess is the right term I'm looking for. But like, dude, they they went all out in this fucking match, dude. It was brutal as fuck. Yo, the gash on Kyle O'Reilly's like lower back. Did you guys see that? Yeah, brutal. Absolutely, that was insane. The way that Kyle, when Kyle did that kick out, I forgot what it was. It I don't know if it was like the Shining Wizard on the top rope or like after Adam Cole hit the last shot, but like the 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 pinfall attempt where he just like barely nudged his shoulder up without moving any other part of his body. I mean, Kyle O'Reilly has been one of the best sellers in the business for a long, long time now. And this is exactly the type of match where he's going to thrive because no one makes getting the shit kicked out of you more believable than Kyle O'Reilly. And this is not to take away from Adam Cole, who, like I said, Adam Cole has solidified himself as truly one of the great, ring psychology technicians of his generation and i'm i whether they go up to the main roster whether they stay in nxt i would hope that what he's accomplished in nxt has more than shown anybody in wwe who's watching him that this is a guy that can main event and do whatever the fuck he needs to do street style match hardcore match technical wrestling 45 minute 10 minute tag match the guy can do it all I have really high hopes for him and everyone else in the UE, but him and Kyle, they tore the fucking house down. I will say, I think the match could have maybe been 10 minutes shorter. I think think that's fair. I think it was a little dragged out. It took like, took a little too long. Not to say what they needed to say. I feel like they said what they needed to say like very early on. And that's where I think like, there's some good spots at the end, but you could have cut out a lot in that match. I think it was a little too long. Uh, with that said, 
Adam Cole is my favorite and probably will be my favorite NXT champion of all time. Uh, the guy is just, I, I've liked Adam Cole since Ring of Honor, since New Japan, since his Bullet Club days. Like he's, he's a, a ridiculously talented worker um, and a great heel, absolutely great heel. And Kyle O'Reilly, um, thrash metal Kyle O'Reilly is uh, one of my favorite new characters in, in the WWE. And uh, yeah, like you said, like, I think that they're probably the two best sellers in NXT, if not WWE. Absolutely. The two of them are, are just so good at what they do. And um, yeah, I don't want to hate on the match. I just think it was just a little, it, it, it should have been shorter. Um, Gratuitous. And- I think that's a fair critique. Anytime a match is 40 minutes long, I think it's worth asking, did it need to be 40 minutes long? But yeah. I will, you got to give them credit for keeping people engrossed and making the match interesting throughout all of that so that by the time it ended i didn't realize it had been that much longer than any other match absolutely Um, yeah that's true so overall nxt knocking it out of the fucking park also a little funny haha that uh the last wednesday night war ratings they finally won uh (laughs) which honestly they fucking deserve because they had a banger of a card and aw did not so props you know it Wrestling is good when all of it is good. So fucking props to NXT. And so with that, we go straight to Mania. And listen, I got to tell you, I'm being completely honest here. Uh, People who listen to this podcast know that I am the king of shit talking WWE. I give them no props for anything. Damien. Yes. Apologize, damn it. (laughs) Apologize. (laughs) I got a problem with the way you talk about my product, kid. Sour boy. (laughs) But listen, man, I said it last week. I say it all the time. I don't want WWE to be bad. It just often makes it hard to root for the product. But this was a mania for the ages. Night one was top to bottom with only one match being less than average. Just a, a stellar, stellar card. Incredible performances. The right booking choices. One of the strongest pay-per-views I have watched in many years. Night two had some more issues, but it, I think that after the second or third match, once that KO Sammy match hit, I really think that it stepped it up, culminating in a main event that you are going to remember forever. But that's not the main event that we're going to talk about, right? So starting off night one, Bobby Lashley versus Drew. They, they kept it on Bobby, and it was the right fucking decision. The right call, 100%. It was absolutely the right call. Uh, and both of them had an incredible match. They showed off the chemistry we talked about, that they had an impact that they showed they had before. Drew comes out looking strong. Right? Some people had an issue with the MVP interference, but I think it's fine because he yelled. It happened to catch Drew at the wrong moment. It was the only opportunity that Bobby needed. Drew remains looking strong as hell. He was obviously over. Bobby obviously over. And, uh, you know, you're never going to tell me and convince me that breaking up the Hurt Business was something that made sense, especially because then Cedric and uh, Shelton Benjamin went on to be the first two people eliminated in the Andre the Giant Battle Royale Memorial Ugh, match in Jobber, in Jobber Mania on SmackDown. But <laughs> regardless... This was the right call, and it was a bold call for their championship match to open up the first live event in front of people in over a year. And I I love a booking call that takes balls. 
this was the right move. Yeah, at first I was, uh, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not going to let it ruin the match for me. I thought I thought the MVP interference was a, was a little weak, but the more I thought about it, hey, you know, at the end of the day, Bobby doesn't care the way he wins. He fucking pinned Drew McIntyre, and Drew McIntyre spent all the time on the buildup talking about how he won't be distracted. He's number one. And hey, yeah, he was distracted on a stupid spot, so that's his fault. Bitter irony. That's your fault. And, uh... Bobby Lashley using the master lock, turning it to the hurt lock. Uh, that is one of the most aggressive looking full Nelson submissions that I have ever seen. The way that he just rips people around with it. And this was a match that aside from those two MVP interferences was largely by the books. So I'm glad Bobby deserved that moment. He's been putting in the work. Him and MVP have ha- have been this, some superstars throughout the last year. Bobby has well beyond deserved this moment. I'm glad that he did. Then you had the tag team turmoil match, which is the weakest car match of the night. This is a match that Riot Squad probably should have won. This is a match that is a lot of not tag teams competing for tag team championships. But that aside, you know, it, it was whatever. I don't really need to spend a ton of time talking about it. I would have liked the Riot Squad to win, but as we'll see in night two, it doesn't matter anyway. Um... Because that then brings us to Cesaro and Seth Rollins. Oh, yeah. And this is where this card really started taking off. This match, I don't know, this match couldn't have been more than like 15 minutes, I feel like. But it was just from bell to bell. This is the Cesaro that people have been clamoring to get this opportunity for for years. and. And Seth Rollins once more showing that he is top tier in the entire industry. There are not many souls that do it better than him. And what it just did, what can you say about this match? It was an 11 minute match that could have gone for 30, but didn't need to. It almost Incredible. felt like it was 30, you know? incredible Seth doing fucking corkscrew frog splashes Cesaro hitting the UFO and spinning this boy around without hands 23 fucking Cesaro spins I mean Which what is, is what, there to say wasn't it wasn't it the night before that there were 22 like how are these boys not throwing up that's I, what I want to know <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know and 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 Seth's promo when the weather delay happened which we didn't even talk about but it's hysterical that their first mania back in front of fans and God says no you will you will wait uh but Seth's promo before where he kept calling that dude Mike over and over again just I love cackle Seth I love shit talking heel Seth and I thought Seth needed to win this match for his storyline, but you know what? Don't let that, don't let booking overcome a fucking beautiful moment and the emotion that overtook Cesaro when he got that win and the crowd erupted for him. He is over as a motherfucker. I, I just hope that this is the start of a true actual run for him because the dude has been putting in the work for the tag team division and the upper mid card for a hot minute now. Yeah, you know what's special about this match is that, you know, the one thing that we've been clamoring all the time for in regards to the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Era were good mid-card fights. And, you know, not only that, but you realize how special this match was when Seth Rollins is pulling out a move that he never did before. 
And I'm actually kind of surprised. I mean, I could be wrong, but like, you know, if someone wants to mention somewhere where this happened, like I've never seen a corkscrew splash off the top rope before. But from Seth, I believe he's he's done it in WWE, but I I think it's a very rare thing for him to do. Yeah, like, that's the thing too. You know, they were pulling out like rare moves out of the arsenal. That, I, I, like, I they, actually they don't like. Not, usually, you have like three finishers, and then that's it. Like, not to uh, to cut you off about Seth doing that, but Cesaro with the UFO. Um, I read this little article. Um, you know, must have only been a day ago, to tell you the truth. Um, where someone was talking about an old match, um, Cesaro early in his WWE career, pulling out the, the UFO, and I forgot who the interaction was with the conversation, but it was someone of, like, prestige. And they approached Cesaro, and they're like, why don't you do that as the finish, like, all the time? He says, oh, I'm saving it for WrestleMania. Well, and, you know, that, that might have been a clickbait type of thing, yeah. you know, but I think that that's that that man protected that move for himself. You know, he's like, I'm going to use this when it's, when it's, when I get the opportunity to put it on a really good stage, you know? Yeah. And anybody who's familiar with Claudio Castagnoli and ring of honor, like he had a couple of moves like that, like the recall bomb, which was like his pump handle power bomb. Yeah. And then the Alpine waterfall. But yeah, man, I mean, shit, this match is great. This is everything I love about wrestling. I'm so happy for Cesaro. Like Damien said, and I'll let you guys discuss this. Like, this was either one of two things. This is either the true beginning of Cesaro's well-deserved run, or it was his thank you match, which, you know, great workers commonly get. But uh, someone called Cesaro, like, your, re- your, your wrestler's favorite wrestler. You know what I mean? Your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. Like, mm-hmm. Almost like MF Doom. Yes. Your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. And, like, that's just a true testament to, like, who Cesaro is at, at this point in his career. Absolutely. Um, it was a great moment overall. And then the AJ and almost the, deb- the debut of the massive fucking almost, uh, shockingly defeating new day, but not so shockingly for the tag team championships. First off, you love to see Biggie coming out, delivering that intro for them. Hell yeah. I I'm glad that they let them do that. New day had me fucking rolling several times throughout that match. When Xavier Woods, had AJ Styles in the headlock and yelled out to the crowd, we are effectively cutting, cutting off the other half of the ring. He said, I you, he lost said, my shit. He said, you are not real tag team wrestlers. I, I thought that made me lose. I actually, this match, you guys know, I tweeted at both of you in the middle of this match because I said, almost is the best bit book big man I've ever seen in my entire life. And how is he not? I can make ah. that. I will make that argument. Yeah, Matt, take it away. You, you know, this is like one of the main reasons why you, you're on you, tonight. You, so. you don't, you don't have this guy make an in ring appearance at all. He is just this big, tall, silent dude standing next to the greatest wrestler in modern wrestling, AJ styles as a, a bodyguard that he doesn't really need. So there's a comedic element to it. You, you just love to see it. And AJ's basically talks himself into the story while he's like, yo, we could do this, you know? And you're thinking, what is this big guy going to do, man? What the hell have we got? What are we going to see out of almost a tag team championship win? It, it, he gets tagged in and picture perfect storyline. He, you know, Dikembe Mutombo, ha ha ha, not in my house. He smacks, he swats New Day down and makes a fool of them and basically wins the match by himself. You need the comedy spot of them just abusing AJ the whole beginning of the match and the funniest moment on 
all of the WrestleMania, like both nights and NXT combined, the funniest moment is we are effectively cutting the ring in half because it's it's just such a good tongue-in-cheek, typical Austin Creed, Xavier Woods, like always connected with the Smarks forever, and then almost just doing what a giant is always supposed to do, and that's winning and being completely a superhero. They mm-hmm. made him look like a superhero, and they don't do that anymore, and they haven't done it. And there, you could look up historically every time they failed, from Giant Gonzalez to the Great Kali, they fail making that big guy really convincing. I feel like almost for now won't have that problem because of that match. I thought it was great. I couldn't agree more, and I don't feel a need to have to add much more than that. I absolutely. What happens from here is anybody's guess, uh, but it was an incredibly book debut. New Day, the perfect people to sell this, and them going over an established tag team is fine when that tag team is New Day because we all know they the eleven tag the eleven time tag team champs, and there will be a twelfth reign, so we're oh, not yeah. even worried about it. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Then we get to. What up to this point was the most cringeworthy fucking match that I had to talk about. Braun Strowman versus Shane McMahon. And look, everybody says the same thing every year, you know. You always walk away from a Shane match being entertained. But the build to this made me want to vomit slime out of my mouth onto Braun Strowman's head. But this is how you need to book Braun Strowman forever. It's how you booked him when he got over with Roman. It's how he needs to be booked forever. The shot of Braun Strowman ripping Shane McMahon's hand through the cage when he is halfway down on the other side and then ripping the fucking cage out. That is the shit you need. No fucking choo-choo train noises. No slime. Just a guy that is in human levels of power and as always you got to give it to shane mcmahon for being a dude in his 50s that's willing to just get thrown off the top of a steel cage and just take a fucking back bump like i i was sports entertained it's great man you know i think we had the same reaction to when shane mcmahon fought aj styles we're like gonna be lame i'm not down with this i'm done with shane matches but he surprised you once again and yes, uh, we have another soft reboot on Braun. I hope that they finally just utilize him the way that everybody wants them to utilize him. And it's just have him be an effective guy who fucks shit up. Doesn't yep. need to be anything more. Yep. Doesn't need to be anything less. 100%. Doesn't need to have a title. Doesn't need to. He just needs to be the guy that is around to fucking murder people. That's yeah. all. All he needs to be, and if that's what he is, that is the perfect, like Matt said just a second ago, you need, wrestling is better when you have a big man that is just like Braun Strowman. Let's bring him back to what got him over. Let's cut the bullshit. Let's make him what he is. Then we get to the match that I talked up ahead of time as saying was going to be good and ends up being one of the most incredible spectacles I have ever seen in wrestling Bad Bunny and Damian Priest defeating The Miz and John Morrison. I mean, look, the internet has talked this to death. I understand that. But I mean, I have seen a lot of celebrity matches. I've seen a lot of celebrities in wrestling angles. 
no one, and I mean no one, not Pat McAfee, not Cindy Lauper, not Mr. T, <laughs> nobody committed to this shit like Bad Bunny committed to this hey, shit. Warren's Taylor was all right. You know? <laughs> Listen, D'Angelo Williams was fucking incredible too. It is no disrespect to the celebrities that have busted their ass, but this, this was truly, this is a guy who has watched wrestling and mm-hmm. loves wrestling and put respect on the fucking name. And he's out here. This man's out here doing drop toll. Fuck the Canadian destroyer. Fuck the Huracarana. This man's out here doing drop tolls into crucifix pins. Like, and Miz and Morrison sold it so well. Every reaction shot popped. Damian Priest gets to look like a fucking monster. What can you say? Incredible shit. Yeah, you mentioned that this has been taught to death, but that was the point, you know? Not only that, it had the whole package. Like, he didn't play the timid celebrity of, like, oh, what I'm doing here. The man rode in on a fucking 18-wheeler. My God, (laughs) like he was Neo in 1990 fucking 8. This man's coming out with the duster. I mean, I was so entertained. I popped a whole lot throughout that match. It hit every note you needed it to hit. Put some respect. Put some respect on Bad Bunny's name. Absolutely. I thought this man was just a coincidence because of his whole like music fame and and you know he's he was like a real like buzzworthy name to have there. I respect him, man. He not only is he like one of us as like a wrestling fan, but he'll do you one better. And throw the dirtiest Canadian destroy. I know you 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 like the drop tall, and I, I absolutely absolutely. But I I saw a tweet of someone just like retweeting themselves of, of so what what do you want to see Bad Bunny do? And someone was like a Canadian destroyer, and then they quoted and went, "Holy shit, he actually did oh. it!" I'm I'm like laughing thinking about it because the guy is like, yo. He is a better worker than a lot of these indie darlings in the world, you know. Uh, <laughs> not only that, some he, people on the main roster. You know what the best? Yeah. You know what the best element about his match was? He held the rope. He held in a the tag rope. Team match. Dax Harwood of FTR shouted him out for that. More than ninety percent of tag teams do it. Listen, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if this man never steps foot in a ring ever again. If he never mentions wrestling ever again, this is probably the best celebrity endorsement WWE has had in 30 some odd years and it put eyes on the product it put asses in seats and god bless this man for going out and, and I never putting even in heard the of work him. I never he, even heard of the guy before this and he, salute to him I'm a fan yeah, I'm I almost want to go to a show now <laughs> yeah right <laughs> take that Meltzer <laughs> ethnic celebrity Jesus fucking Christ but but 52 minutes into the podcast, Ryan and Matt, we get to the only match I would really need to talk about, and you all could just fucking listen to something else, because the main event of the first WrestleMania back in front of live fans, Sasha Banks 
Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And they put the fucking rocket on the EST of WWE. Bianca Belair, a woman that I have been championing on this podcast since its inception. A woman I have just fucking loved watching since she came up in NXT. The This was... 17 minutes of some of the best wrestling you will ever see in your fucking life. I did not think they had it in them. This build was trash. They almost ruined Bianca's character by making her so timid. But we did say it last week. If the match is good enough, you will excuse that. And if there is any woman on this planet that is going to make a bad build into a great match... It is Sasha Banks, who I think at this point, it ain't Charlotte, it ain't Becky. We got to start talking about Sasha Banks as one of the goats. We have to. I kind of always thought that, man. You know, no disrespect to Becky when she was making that run. But, you know, that entire time, I was like, man, I wish Sasha was in this position. Because I thought that immediately. As soon as she came out on NXT, I was like, damn, you know what? This is a fucking character who can hang with anybody else and so can the other woman however like you know we talked about earlier when we saw la night and we had that you know that rocky spark sasha has always had the rocky spark and hey fucking uh bianca belair is going to be one of the best women's champions of all time at the end of the day i really I'm willing fucking to hope say so. that even though she still has a lot left to go but hey man i mean this is a good fucking start the first time two women in a singles match have headlined WrestleMania. More importantly, the first time two black women have done so. This was a moment. This was a true monumental occasion. Both of them overwhelmed by emotion. And here's what's fucking crazy. Bianca Belair is older than Sasha Banks. I did not know that. Sasha isn't even 30 yet. Wow, I'm old. (laughs) This match, I don't care what you take away from this podcast. I don't care what you take away from wrestling. You go and you watch this fucking match. There is no commentary I could give you that would do it justice, but suffice to say, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks had one of the most incredible WrestleMania main events I have ever seen. Bianca Belair was in tip-top shape. Sasha Banks continuing to cement that legacy of the as the goat i'm just you want to talk about sending the fans home happy and there you fucking go and this wrapped up uh, honestly for the most part perfectly booked night one of wrestlemania this was the moment i wanted and am i happy that there were forty six thousand people at raymond james stadium no i am not am i happy we did this in the middle of a pandemic no i'm not but you know what Am I happy Bianca Belair got this moment in front of live fans? You're God fucking damn right I am. This woman is the goddamn future of this industry. And if you didn't know before, you better start fucking recognizing. Uh. Nothing left to be said. (laughs) Please come on our show. If any of you are friends, yeah, it was Bianca almost like Belair. the ultimate thank you show to me and you, Damien, because we got the Cesaro one and we got the Bianca Belair one. What can you do? What can you do? It brings us to night two. Now, night two, it had some missteps. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it didn't. 
Randy Orton and The Fiend. I don't really know exactly what happened. A couple people speculating that this might be leading to Alistair Black showing up in this feud, which would be fucking great. But I don't have any faith that that's what's happening here. Oh, you're not familiar with the uh, the old Southern booking style of of Christ blood. That's the old Ole Anderson program, man. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, I I love me some, you know, some old school Southern pentagram wrestling. Uh, The irony. Randy and Bray get another shot at a WrestleMania match. And my goodness, man, five minutes and and did this. This was not the start I was looking for to this. And uh, he also magically healed himself from the burns. Um, That was the first strike. That was the I was like, oh, boy, here we go. (laughs) We're just uh, we're just going to move away from this match. If if I could just say one thing, though, Alexa Bliss looked absolutely beautiful crazy with the, oh, the, oh, the gross did. that yes. that looked that like for a company that so often fails to make things look intimidating or scary or so that one takeaway from that that match is if you put a bunch of black water all over alexa bliss's face with like a crown of thorns on her she looks like a psychopath and it was awesome but other than that yeah moving on it is interesting how willing WWE has been to use some of the more like stereotypically prominent satanic imagery in yeah. fiend shit, considering uh, the era that we live in. Anyway, we then, unfortunately, for the people in this match, move on to the tag team match for the women's tag team championship between four women, none of which except for Tamina and Nia were actually a tag team and should not still be a tag team. Uh, and then Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler won. Uh, Lil Shayna wins. Tamina did get a nice pop. Uh, that was that was nice to see. Yeah, listen, yeah. I got you nothing like against that. Tamina. She's not. I don't. She's not particularly good. But I got nothing against yeah, her. You know what it was more like? It was like, all right, the fans know like what this match is, and you know yes. they were just like, fuck it. Listen, we haven't seen live wrestling in over a year. We're gonna fucking uh, yeah get behind this match no matter what i i that was that was the one element of the match that i like to see i was pissed and I, i'm i'm gonna outcome, say but, this you know i'm gonna say this it was better than the tag team turmoil i'm not gonna say this was a bad match i think that would be like really unnecessarily shitting on this match it was a fine match that followed a real yes. clunker of an opener yeah. and so it was a real inauspicious start for this it was like oh boy I texted Ryan. I was like, Vince Vince got word of how popular night one was and was like, oh, well, we got to change this. The fans can't like all of it. Tone it down. Tone it down. Uh, <laughs> so whatever. We move on. But thankfully, we move on to Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn with Logan Paul. This match went less than 10 minutes, which you could say is a bummer. But the only thing I, I told, we, we said this last week, the only thing that I wanted from this match, I didn't care how long it went, I just didn't want it to be, ha ha, funny shenanigans, lol, Sammy heel bullshit, and it was not. They said, if you're giving us less than 10 minutes, then we're fucking giving you 30 minutes in 10 minutes. Sammy, in this match, had looked as good as he has looked in the last three years. And that gives me a lot of hope for where Sammy's career goes from here. Pulling out blue thunder bombs, getting fucked up off the top rope. You know, it it just, they both, Sammy looked great. Kevin looked great. And after the match, Logan Paul coming out and fucking with Sammy and then KO 
you could say maybe just because he doesn't like celebrities, but I'd like to think because Logan Paul was mean to his best friend. Stunned Logan Paul. That's all I wanted. Stunned Logan Paul. Let it be a good match. I got what I wanted. I can't argue. I can't ask for more. I hope that this leads to a redemption story where Kevin helps break Sammy out of this and Sammy becomes the ultimate baby face he's always been. We'll see what happens. Uh, we got the take home show for Raw today. So it's nice to see Sammy. Um, it, it, this sounds so negative, but it's nice to see him look like he cares. Absolutely. And I think he's always going to care when it's him and KO, you know, just because they're, they're such good friends. Um, but uh, there's a lot of people that have this like this pain in their hearts where they see Sammy and and uh, have just been longtime fans. And not only that, but his character outside the ring and how much he stands for. And like like he's such like a good like model citizen of a dude. And, um, you know, I you know, whether he stays in WWE or not, I have heard talkings recently. He's done a couple podcasts recently. I think it was oral sessions with Renee Young um, that he talked about how a lot of this is creatively him and he's just having fun um, as long as he's still having fun. Because I want to see that guy, you know, you could say a lot of the same about Kevin Owens, but, you know, the both of them wrap it up with the both of them. Wrestling needs the two of them. Wrestling doesn't even deserve the two of them, but it needs the two of them. You know what it uh, is, man? And we we lightly touched upon this last week was that uh, Sammy's main program for the last year was kind of like him saving himself up for this big match. And as soon as he pulled out the blue thunderbomb last night, I realized this, like, I think with his litany of injuries that he's unfortunately suffered over the last, uh, you know, two years is that, you know, he can't really unfortunately go at the level that we are used to him, uh, used to seeing him perform at. But it, I hope that's the case, and I hope that he's good to go moving forward. But, I mean, if that was the reason, then I, I completely understand. But, yeah, like, you're right. Me and Damien always joke about how, like, you know, they made him a fucking a Cuban socialist. But, you know, maybe that's just him, man. <laughs> yeah, that, I, yeah, that's it, and I, I hope he's having fun with what he's doing. It's just, like, it's weird because I know the fans look at it like he's suffering. And maybe, maybe this is him living his best life. I don't know, because you just... Yeah, maybe it is because he can't go. But um, truth remains that he's a lot of people's like one of his favorite, their favorite wrestlers. You know, like I, that, I could say the same. You know, Sammy has sold me since El Generico and everything he's ever done. So it's just, like I said, it's what so does good Sammy to see have him. to do with El Generico? Um, just the, the fact that they're always loosely associated with each other. I never really understood why. Uh, I think it's actually um, it's the boots. It's the boots. They do have similar boots, yeah. Similar that, boots, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, then you move on to Sheamus and Riddle. Sheamus getting the win he deserved after this last run. Uh, I'm sorry, did I say Riddle? I meant Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle. Uh, these two had off-the-fucking-charts chemistry. If you called this the match of the night uh, over the main event, I'd be a little surprised, but I also would probably understand uh, These before two we put on before we delve into this, I just wanted to give a shout out to how great that backstage promo was with RVD. Very oh. good, <laughs> very good. Uh, great, Kali doing his Bro. thing as well. If you told Bro. me in in March of 2021 that not only New York State would legalize weed, but Vince would let RVD plug his rolling papers, 
in front of in Matt front Riddle. Of people on WrestleMania, I would say. <laughs> forget the people, Matt Riddle too, like like almost in a weird enabling way, being like, "Yeah, we'll get Matt Riddle in there. It'll be hilarious." It, it was great. It was you great. can meet my twelve wives, my harem, uh, <laughs> and Seamus. Man, Seamus. Yeah, that was great. Matt Riddle great. up at the end there, but Matt Riddle. For all of his bullshit, for all of the Matt Riddle is a great wrestler. Yes. Uh I look forward to seeing Sheamus's reign with this. This match was just heavy, hard hitting. It was great stuff. Then it led to Apollo Cruz and Big E for the Intercontinental Championship in a Nigerian drum fight, in which not a single drum was apparently harmed in the making of this match. Uh now look, that aside, this match is what the match at Fast Lane teased to be now how you feel about a dusty finish involving Dabakato coming out and helping Apollo win that's obviously for that's going to be subjective but we did not have that many fuck finishes in fact we didn't really have any fuck finishes aside from whatever you want to call Randy and the fiend this is really the only biggest biggest one until the main event. So it didn't bother me that much. Uh, this match was not even seven minutes long. It felt a lot longer. Yeah, wow, really? Uh, but regardless of dusty finishes or otherwise, I think Apollo was the right person to win this feud for two reasons. Apollo's character is interesting. They're finally letting him fucking talk, do some chops, be, be somebody, show off. You give him Dabakato, who obviously WWE loved for how much he was uh, showcased in in Raw Underground, which the less we talk about it, the better. Uh, and Big E can't be in the main event scene if he's Intercontinental Champion. So this seemed like the right call to me. Very good point, actually. I think uh, I think that that's what needs to be said is it's cool to give Apollo Crews a Mania win, and you don't need to give Big E a Mania win right now if you. If the plans that everybody thinks everybody has in their head are correct for the future, Big E will have his mania win in a bigger fashion than this match, than the Intercontinental title. Not to like belittle either one of them, but Apollo's, you know, been doing this for a while. It's cool to give him this belt. Big E is world championship material. So that's, you know, it all makes sense. It's all part of the plan, I think. Yeah, I was completely fine with it. Uh, you know, sometimes WrestleMania needs to serve as the jumping point to the next arc of the storyline. And this is what it's Correct. This is what it's doing. And hey, you know, utilizing other guys on the roster. Utilize Dabakato, who is now Lieutenant General Corporal Aziz. <laughs> which is, I think it was a nice touch because a lot of like African warlords will just take old military jackets that they were gifted or found. And just wear them with no context whatsoever. So I like I like that little faction that they're going in. But yeah, yeah you know, it. I mean it's it's exactly what Damien said. We were always clamoring for Apollo to have something to him besides Mr. Nice Guy, and the dude can absolutely go. So I'm 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 excited to see what, what's gonna happen moving forward. And they beat the fuck out of each they other. They did, yeah. Doesn't, dude, just, it doesn't matter whether they throw a drum or not. They beat the fuck out of each other. The, the first 15 seconds of that match are just them going in the ring like, let's fucking do this, and just smacking each other with the kendo sticks. Perfect. They Love beat it. each other like a drum instead of actually using a drum. Yeah. There you go. That's 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 what the... Metaphors. The real, the real <laughs> drum was the kendo sticks we met along the way. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
the co-main event, Rhea Ripley going over Asuka for the Raw Women's Champion. Now, first off, this match only is good because Asuka willed it to be so. And that takes nothing away from Rhea Ripley, who I feel very good about. I like Rhea a lot. Uh, Again, now she's 24. With this, all of the women holding belts in WWE have come onto the scene really in the last year or two. And that is great for business. We're building up new stars finally. But Asuka forever deserves the shout out for being, as Matt said on Twitter while talk, uh, while watching the match, Asuka can be the silliest, goofiest fucking person just screaming Japanese and wearing silly shit. And then at the drop of a hat, reminds you that she is one of the best wrestlers on this fucking planet. You talk about like the first couple seconds of a match. Yo, start that match again and just watch like the first 30 seconds like after the bell rings. And what Asuka does, what Asuka squeezes into that amount of time is just the best. Like she she could, you could say she's the best in the world. I'm not mad at that. If that's your argument, I don't really even want to argue against it um, because she deserves that. She She's carried the women's division in in, a, in darker times. When booking was really bad, you always got quality wrestling out of her. You know, like her Absolutely. and Charlotte, like, share that in common, that they're just such good workers that you cannot deny them of anything at any given moment. And Asuka being just the regular Asuka character, but now just, like, there's this gross slime everywhere and part of it, like, that development that's gone on recently is just, she's just a crazier version of herself. Good. Because Asuka, who is herself, is is top five dead or alive at this point. Like, yeah. forget the women's division. I, I think every dude in the men's division looks at Asuka and goes, damn, I can't do that shit. Absolutely. She's a legend, you know? I've been saying this for a minute. Doesn't matter whether she was in Japan, whether she was in NXT, whether she's in Raw and Raw, SmackDown, it, it, main event, doesn't matter. Asuka is a top five dead or alive. Asuka is one of the best wrestlers on this planet. She has been arguably my favorite wrestler in WWE since she showed up on the scene. And uh, she helped make a star out of Rhea. Again, because that's yes. what Asuka does. She's and, and she's, she's, she's Eddie. All... King, she's Eddie Kingston in his promo before he jumps to AEW. I just make fucking stars. It's what I do. So reliable, man. Like it, and and you could. I hope we'll be able to count on that for a while to use Asuka as your jumping point match. You know, even though it's 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 cringy in practice as and how it went down. Yeah, like you watch like Charlotte break the Oscar streak. And when, when Oscar says Charlotte was ready for Oscar, you know, that was her doing her best, not really knowing English that well saying like, as the gatekeeper, welcome, you know, like look at the technical match that just goes on right there. And my reign is acknowledged as, as the modern day Bill Goldberg, like in a lot of ways, like Oscar should be that gatekeeper. She's make the argument that that role needs to be filled, and there aren't a lot of people that would be as good as her to fit that role. Yeah, especially you know? for the women's division, too. She is integral to making the wrestling of the women's division matter as much as it does. She's one of those pillars in modern women's wrestling that's so integral to the design of it all and how how the work is just, like, undeniable. And she's, you know, remove her from that situation and you speak a different tongue, you know? <laughs> like, she is, she is so... 
so important, man. Yeah, and I think it was important to have a good closing chapter on her current run because I think, you know, she was obviously one of three individuals who were the MVP of the lockdown era. Yes. And, you know, a lot of, like you mentioned, a lot of people were hung up on the fact that her Goldberg run streak was a little fucked up when she came up to the main roster. Unfortunately, like other things are. But she certainly reclaimed her position within women's wrestling, not only within WWE, but, you know, reinforcing her name as a, a an authority of women's wrestling around the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's important to always have a good handoff. You don't want to be like Hulk Hogan and keep going over, but, you know, you uh, you got to have that element to it. And I was completely fine with uh, Rhea winning this match. I agree. I agree. And And so finally it brings us to the main event of main events, Roman Reigns. Edge and Daniel Bryan in a triple threat for the Universal Championship. The match that has had the best booking of any of the matches on Mania. Um, a match that it happens 10 years to the day that Edge is forced to vacate the Heavyweight Championship and announce his retirement. Crazy. Um, Can't write that. It, Can't a, write match, that. a match that happens seven years after the last time that Daniel Bryan headlined WrestleMania. 10 years to the day of when Edge retired on Monday Night Raw. This match was everything that it promised to be. Um, This was the longest match of both WrestleManias at 21 minutes, which is still crazy. 21 minutes, not that long. This is, I think, a match that was worthy of the build that it got. All three men knew they had a job to do, and they did it. Roman looking as dominant and fearsome as ever with Jey Uso nipping at the buds. Edge looking outright fucking deranged. And Daniel Bryan, confident as ever, ready to do some damage. Whether you feel that the ending of Jey Uso coming in, protecting Roman from the concerto, and ultimately leading to Roman hitting a spear, hitting the concerto on Edge, draping him over Daniel Bryan and pinning both of them. Whether you feel that the interference should have been there or not is, of course, a matter for some debate. But what is not debatable here is that this is one of the most high-stakes main events that WWE has had in a very long time. Very a match, long time. A match with, frankly, almost impossible standards to reach for the men involved. And a match that I feel really did deliver. And as much as the feel-good moment of Daniel Bryan or Edge winning, as much as that is the thing we want, no person on this roster deserved this moment more than Roman Reigns. That was a finish you cannot be mad at because for the good portion of a month, we were debating on who's going to pin who, why is Daniel Bryan in the match? <laughs> You know, people arguing that Daniel Bryan is only in the match so Edge can pin him and not pin Roman to make Roman look strong. No, Daniel Bryan was in the match so fucking Roman Reigns could put him on top of Edge and pin both <laughs> men at the same time. Hilarious. Actually hilarious, but like in the moment, you don't think it's funny. You're like, oh shit. Like, because <laughs> these guys, they're the best. Like the the three of them are the best. Like you could argue they're all the goats or whatever. And in the in that pain, you you described it very well, Damian. Like 
you paint the picture like especially when they're like announcing everybody that's in the ring like i i like my mind freeze frame that moment and where daniel bryan was standing and where edge was standing and then you have roman paul Heyman, and jay uso like it's that's wrestling at its best is that picture man like yeah you want singles competitive matches or whatever but it's wrestlemania it's a triple threat you got two guys that are trying to prove it for similar reasons yet drastically different and then you got roman and his his fucking annoying little cousin oh my god you can't stand the guy beautiful and you got paul Heyman, who you think is there to talk for roman no no roman has just uh, just keeps proving he does not need paul Heyman to speak for him it's 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 that that you know that fantasy story of like you hate the corporation well maybe this isn't the corporation but this is roman reigns and his little fucking round table of people you know and and you you sympathize with edge's story and you understand daniel bryan's story and you know forget the the work involved that's the build-up is incredible the build-up right until the bell rings because the build-up is until the bell rings you know the entrances are part of that build-up the way that they stand in the ring as they're being announced is is part of that build-up and it it, the tension you can cut it with a knife man It, it was just so good so like classic wwe making something actually work as it being important and i had my doubts we all had our doubts but that that shit looked good man before the match even started it all just it just all worked out so well it was it was shakespearean in a lot of ways you know if i'm being dramatic or not i don't know (laughs) i think that it's the appropriate way to look at it and you know me and ryan have spoken at length throughout the last year that this is and everybody's spoken to it to death that this is the Roman fans wanted all along. All along. And now you got that Roman that you wanted all along. And Roman <laughs> just pinned your two favorite wrestlers at the same fucking time. What a fuck you move. That's yeah. what he fucking did. Roman got booed because he earned those goddamn boos. You were fr- and this is kind of this brings me back to what me and Ryan were talking about last week. The idea of WWE being too afraid to let fans make their own decisions and, 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 uh, you know, oh, we got to make sure we do this so this person doesn't get booed. Listen, man, when the talent is there, they will work it out. Roman and Jay knew exactly what they needed to do to get booed. They got that heat, and then Roman just stands tall over the broken shells of two of the biggest superstars in WWE history, and he just looks at them and goes, me. My time cuts a promo afterwards where he says, what did y'all think was going to happen? I told you I was going to stack them. I told you I was going to crash them and they were going to look up to a better man. And that is what's happening. Roman Reigns has earned every bit of pyro that was spent on that main event. All three of those men deserve props. And ultimately this brings us to the end of, like I said, this was top to bottom for the most part, a real incredible WrestleMania. And I wish I could point out thousands of things that makes me hate WWE. I will say once again, the cuts, the camera work, I hate it. It gave me a oh, headache. The camera work was really I, rough. I like, can't deal with it. But it seems like a bunch of new guys or something. Like, not to be petty, but no, well, just the same idiot that's been running production for the last thirty years. It just, it just felt awkward. I'm like, Still yo, done. WrestleMania. This looks like a raw. You know, like, Still what? done. 
But overall, I would love to sit here and talk shit. I got no shit to talk. Great show. It was a great show. Well, once again, WWE does what they do best, and that's uh, under promise and over deliver. And that's what they did yeah. here. Would I wish that they do more of that? I mean, not under promise, but what would I wish that they, you know, take the chances and take risks that they need to, honestly, in this stage of the game? Yeah, I would. But, you know, we're talking about resets and light reboots, and hopefully this is a this is a good slap in the face for them saying, hey, look, you know, we have our position because we earned it throughout all the years and decades. And you got to think, you know, you have a, a whole new crop of stars and, you know, since I started watching wrestling again with Matt back in like 2014, we were excited about that crop of stars coming up and making a name for themselves. But they kind of just like were hesitant and wanted to go to the obvious ratings boost of getting in legends and part-timers. But dude, honestly, like you have to make a decision of when you're going to strike on the new generation. And if you want a dominant product again, there's no reason why you shouldn't use this current crop of talent. Speaking of legends and part-timers and new blood, uh, you gotta love WWE trying its absolute hardest to not let you know at home that Hulk Hogan was getting the absolute ever loving shit boot out oh of him. Uh, and it kind you can of, hear it at the beginning. You can well, always hear it at the beginning of when he would come out and, and Titus just sounded disappointed. Like, yeah, I get it, man. Like I get it. It kind of felt like they gave up on night two night one. They tried real hard, man. Night Titus two, is Titus's emotion on night two. He was just like, yo, I, I like, it seems like. He genuinely just hated what he was doing. I think they threw him a bone by making Hulk go out in a pirate costume. (laughs) I'm sorry we have to make you go through this. We'll make Hulk look ridiculous. How about that? (laughs) Titus Uh, is like, man, I'm just doing business, man. This is my job, you know? Like, night two, he's like, you know, he's basically the customer service representative, you know, just being (laughs) like, oh, how can I fucking help you guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, It should have just been (laughs) Bailey and Titus, honestly. I think that was Uh, just. this is the best mo these are the best moments in Bailey's career, if I could throw in a little Yo, thing. Uh, we're all disappointed it's, like, it's the Bellas that come out. We want Becky, but yada yada yada. They Bailey got- just just taking the piss out of Titus and Hogan. Amazing, love man. Love it. and and what I love the most is you could say that it's because the Bellas it's the Bellas, but you just gotta love that the minute the Bellas hit Bailey, the crowd just booed the shit out of them. (laughs) Basically, just, you're not Becky. They might have booed anybody. The Bellas just made it worse. You know, like, everybody wanted Becky. You don't get, you know, Becky's teasing the whole time, you know, or a little She'll probably fucking show up tonight. Tonight, yeah. But I think, I saw this said earlier somewhere, and I do think that this is the good way to look at it. Are you upset that Bailey still hasn't had a WrestleMania singles match? Are you damn fucking right? That's upsetting. Uh, yeah. Like a proper main event match. But with that said, who in the women's division right now is there for Bailey to face? Who deserves to be in that ring with Bailey? You know how you build up people? It's what you do tonight. You build up people like Raquel Gonzalez. You send up Io Shirai. You build up Dakota Kai. Bianca you, Belair. You, Rhea Ripley. You, Rhea Ripley. Yeah. Bianca Belair. This is how you give Bailey and Sasha and Charlotte and Becky. This is how you transfer to a new guard and give these people the moments they deserve. Bailey was entertaining all throughout. God bless her fucking soul. Chicken sit in a chicken salad, brother. Absolutely, and and so. You know, as we begin to wrap up here, I want to try 
a new little segment here. We're not going to do a legend killer this week. For now, we're going to do a new segment that I am tentatively naming Aces of the Bingo Halls. Mm. This segment is going to be dedicated to a wrestler predominantly working on the indies who we feel uh, has earned some exposure and has earned you checking them out. Today, we're going to list two people. We'll start with the vet, J.D. Drake. J.D. Drake is somebody that, if you watch AEW, you saw come out of the woodwork after a couple matches on Dark to challenge Darby Allin for the TNT Championship. It was a good, solid match, right? J.D. Drake looked like an old-school Southern hoss. The only reason Darby wins, you know, Darby absorbs enough punishment. And prior to that, uh, he's been, you know, so so J.D. Drake in AEW hanging out with Dolph Ziggler's little brother and doing some stuff, right? Now, J.D. Drake has been active since, like, 2014 is really when he he starts picking up. And uh, J.D. Drake has been all over the place. He's linked up with Keith Lee. He's linked up with Matt Riddle. He's linked up with a whole lot of people in his time. J.D. Drake has been around for a minute. And if you follow independent wrestling... You may have seen his name pop up a lot during Mania Weekend because he was all fucking over the place. Uh, he was at GCW. He was for he was at IWTV Tony Deppin's Beer House. He was all over the. He had like four or five matches all over the Mania Weekend. If you're looking for a guy that is that old school Southern style, just beat you the fuck up, and a guy that has been working for a while and you're looking for that old school flavor. This is a guy I would check out. And honestly, you're in luck because probably one of the better matches you'll catch him in recently was against Darby Allen. Go check him out on the most recent dynamite. Do either of you two know about JD Drake before I move on prior uh, to this? I, I've definitely seen him throughout the years. Um, you know, he's just a big burly bearded guy now. Um, that's just what I've known him as, but yeah, th- to be honest, kind of a relatively unknown. I know the name. I know I know the look, you know, uh, but it's cool to see him. You know, AEW makes a lot of that stuff possible. There's wrestlers like him mm-hmm. to, to for you to figure out. There are a lot of hidden workers. You know, I'm a guitar player. There are a lot of, you know, the best guitar player in the world might be a bedroom guitar player. And the best wrestler in the world might be an indie darling you never heard of. You know, that's just Absolutely. the way it is. Yeah. Um. And his he's predominantly been a tag team guy for his career with Anthony Henry, who is currently in WWE development. So you might see his partner showing up in WWE. Uh, and Ryan, before I move on, any familiarity yes, on sir. your end? Uh, no, just pretty much what Matt said. He's just been one of those names that I've caught on you know different promotions throughout the years. But I you know certainly appreciate you bringing him up because now I'm going to. Check out some more of his work and get familiar with him. I think he's a guy that you'll appreciate specifically, Ryan, because I know you appreciate a big hoss. Uh, so the other guy that I want to shout out, this is a guy that, from from what I can tell, has had all of 20 matches starting from December of 2019. Uh, he is 23 years old. I think he just turned 23. And this is Nolan Edward. All right. I don't expect anybody 
necessarily to know who he was unless you watch a lot of ICW. But this cat had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten matches from April 8th to April 10th. Ten matches. One of them was against J.D. Drake in uh, the Battle of the Tough Guys ICW No Holds Barred uh, in a tournament. This is a dude that I will be real interested to see if he starts showing up more and more. He is a guy that in some ways you could say is a little bit like a Darby type, somebody that just puts his body on the line, doesn't give a fuck what happens to him. The first match that I watched of his was against uh, a woman by the name of Angelus Lane in an unsanctioned uh, intergender match. It was a death match. Put that woman through fucking hell, and she put him through hell. Um, He is lanky, but surprisingly strong. He's agile. He's got some decent technique to him. Like I said, this is a dude that's 23. He's younger than MJF. He's had half of his career in the last two days. He's just been fucking everywhere. And I tell you, every match that I watched of his over this weekend during Mania Weekend, I was impressed with. So I'm going to see if I can find these links to put up. But uh, IWTV, if you're looking for like GCW, CZW, uh, you know, Matches like that, pro, like old old school indie promos, new indie promotions. Um, this is where you're going to catch this. I'm going to shout out his match at Tony Deppin's Beer House against TJ Crawford, who is a guy that shook crew. Bryce Donovan and Bobby Orlando and a lot of the Creative Pro guys are big on. And I'm going to shout out his match against uh, JD Drake. I'm interested to see if this is a dude that starts making some waves in the hardcore scene. He's clearly somebody who doesn't feel he has a lot to lose. Um, And I felt that just from what I saw this weekend, that this was a guy worth shouting out. Now, maybe, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Wrestling is a fickle business, right? True. May I give a name? Absolutely, please. Don't let this be the Damien show. Yeah, the segment inspired me to give a shout out to like one of the best kept secrets in wrestling and that I have to give to AR Fox. Uh, some listeners may be familiar with AR through his work in CZW. Uh, you may know him on Ultra Underground uh, as Dante Fox, where he had some incredible matches with Killshot, who was now Isaiah Surf's, uh, Swerve Scott. And yeah, honestly, he's one of the best high flyers in the game. He's criminally underrated, but not only is a high flyer, but like he could do that mat work and that technical aspect of it too. Last year, or about a year and a half ago, he did a match with Two Cold Scorpio, who uh, older fans will remember from you know WWE and the Job Squad. And dude, that guy's like fucking forty five and could still fucking go. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, Ar Fox. I'm really surprised at this point in the game he hasn't had at least an NXT run. Uh, on Cage Match, he has twenty nine. Uh, nine Poto matches. He has 31 8.0 matches, five 10 matches. So, I mean, like, you know, apparently now he is, he is a, uh, a player coach for Evolve. But, I mean, goddamn. You know, I'm, he's 33, and, you know, I'm going to mention his name, and it's going to put some light bulbs in people's heads. But, I mean, shit. Like I said, he's absolutely criminally underrated, and I would like to see him in some aspect of the major promotions. Or hell, you know, I heard that Lucha Underground is kind of coming back. Did you guys hear this? Really? Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, so uh, this company that is, uh, they just 
applied for the uh, the copyright and the licensing to Lucia Underground, and it looks like it's going to get a bit of a reboot. So interesting. We may All see right. another program on the horizon. All right, I can get behind that for sure. Um, um, can, could I? Uh, could I give a shout out? Yes, absolutely. Because it, it's 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 fresh in the mind. Um, and uh, FFC fans know the name because we bring them up every once in a while. Um, and it's a guy that I grew up with, that Doyle grew up with, uh, Damien, that you now know. Um, and it is a guy that just, you know, no contracts are signed, but a guy that maybe made his little AEW debut, and it's, it's, it's a friend of this podcast and a friend of mine, is Rex Lawless. My boy, let me tell you, boys, and this is for everybody, I've seen that man come out and square up with the gun club, more important, the badass Billy Gun. I got emotional because that's uh that's uh you know, me me and Rob uh we, we talk every now and then, you know, we're we're not as close as we used to be, but we were really good friends growing up. And I've seen this guy's passion through wrestling and holy shit, boys. Holy shit, if I could promote anybody in my life, our boy had not one but two two AEW matches, the first being against the gun club. And then the next being against Jurassic Express, if, if, if this is a dream come true for me being a, a wrestling fan and someone who is from Belmore, New York, to see the, the, the good boy Rex Lawless out there killing it, absolutely killing it. What a machine Did. this man has become. It's so excellent. I'm so happy and so proud to to see that as a friend of fan it's it's so awesome man absolute so goosebumps man and you know at our year anniversary show uh damien asked for some predictions for the program moving forward and i said that we were going to have somebody on the AEW roster but little did we know that we already did and be the good brother himself rex lawless right yeah and you know life hasn't broken the fourth wall for me many times uh you know, it did when I saw Give Up the Goods play with Shadows Fall. It did when I saw Moontooth open up for Killswitch Engage. But seeing an individual that not only have we interviewed the last year, but yeah, someone I grew up with, you know, on TV fighting fucking Billy Gunn, fighting a premier tag team in Jurassic Jurassic Express and AEW, Luke Perry's son. Like I, <laughs> I told my mom, hey, Ma, this guy I went to high school with is wrestling Luke Perry's son. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, and then the same thing. I told my mother, and I told her, you know, who it was in real. And she was like, "Oh no way!" And I'm like, "Because you know, I bother, my, yeah, I, I bother my mother with wrestling all the time. I, it's a joke." I'm, I actually bought my mother an AJ Styles T-shirt for Christmas because we have this inside joke where I just randomly, just to troll her, bring up wrestling in front of her, and uh, I said, "Hey, hey, uh, one of my good friends growing up is uh, now on AEW." fuck out of here it's 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 a you love to see it you love you do. to see it yeah. i absolutely i wish nothing but success for rex he is a guy that's been grinding for a minute and a friend of of ryan's is a friend of mine and similarly you know before we cut the segment uh if you want to talk people that have been on this show that uh that rocket's coming I'm telling you right now, guys, you get your fucking Shook Crew shirts while you can. You get your Bryce Donovan shirts while you can because you got maybe another year before that dude's showing up it's fucking somewhere. Yeah, I promise you that. Hell yeah. Just had a, a match in the beginning of April against Bear Country who've already been featured in AEW multiple times where they tore down the fucking house. 
Bryce is putting in that work. He's been putting in that work his whole life. And sooner or later, the next time I see him on my TV, it's not going to be carrying Velveteen Dream on his shoulders. It's going to be in a fucking ring with established talent. And you're going to fucking see the work that dudes, this, that this dude's put in. But oh, I'm yeah. going to attach some of these some of these matches here. And this is going to be a recurring segment. We won't necessarily do it every week. But I think that the most important thing you can do as a wrestling fan is support the fucking indie. Support the factories that pumps out your favorite talent, right? Last time Matt was on, we talked about underground rap. And we talked about dudes that you don't even fucking know that have been putting in that work and... Sometimes they blow up and sometimes they don't. And in wrestling, it's a fickle business. You break or you don't. You burn out real quick. But we want to make sure that we highlight some people that we see with some potential here. Not for our fucking benefit, but because wrestling is a community. Whether you're a podcast, whether you're a watcher, a listener, whether you make content, whether you are the talent... One way or another, right, it's a community, and it's important to uplift that community. I highly recommend that if you're looking for some streaming services, consider getting IWTV. Consider supporting these promotions because AW and WWE and New Japan, they're going to be fucking fine. They were fine throughout the pandemic, and they're going to continue to be. They're going to be Gucci. Impact, if they haven't fucking died now, they sure as shit aren't going to. But you know what? It's these smaller promotions, your hometown promotions, that pump out that talent for tomorrow, and they haven't had a damn fucking crowd in well over a year. So consider supporting. Consider buying some merch. Find some people that might just be the next superstars of tomorrow. Go find yourself the aces of the bingo halls. As we wrap up here, this short episode that turned out to be exactly as long as every other episode we've ever made, so go figure. What have we been listening to? I have been listening to the new... Well, first off, Gojira dropped a single today. I still need more yes. time to process it, but... Yes, uh, I, I did listen to... Uh, uh, so I'll let you handle that, Matt. But I, I've been listening to the new Godspeed Black U Emperor release. Oh, Godspeed Black Emperor put out something? Yeah, it's called Godspeed at State End. And I know that post-rock is meme to death. And when I bring up Godspeed U Black Emperor, you're going to be like, oh, God, what's next, dude? You're going to fucking bring up Airplane Over the Sea. But no, <laughs> no. Um, one of the most quintessential post-rock acts ever. Uh, the best piece of advice that I ever got as a noob in my freshman year of college was to uh, put on, lift your skinny wrists and just light a candle and fucking void out any sound in the room and just listen to it from beginning to end. And I had the absolute pleasure of seeing them open up for Nine Inch Nails. And it was just an absolutely surreal experience. You want to talk about something to bridge you into Nine Inch Nails? Like, they fucking stole the show. They're like a nine piece, just like this ethereal, like soundscape of a band completely enthralling, uh, definitely on my list of top 10 acts to see once everything opened up back safely. And, uh, yeah, just an absolute great release. If that's in your wheelhouse, then go check it out. Okay. Well, how about you, Matt? That new Gojira single did drop today. Um, not to even make a big fuss about it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I uh, have liked all three of the ones that have come out uh, recently. Uh, you know, Gojira just doesn't... Like, no when, you're, when you're good at what you do, how can you be bad at what you do? You know, Absolutely. Like, you know, um, for me personally, recently, and uh, 
Ryan, we've talked about this. I, I've been, I just been hung up on death. I, I have been in a Chuck Schuldner, you know, orchestrated mood for the past couple weeks. I've been pulling out the guitar, old woodshed, just learning old death songs, just because it's um, it feels right as a guitar player, man. Like uh, it, I'm a Long Islander. Chuck Schuldner comes from Long Island. I feel like I'm, I'm always trying to pay homage to like the 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 legends that have come around here you know the suffocations and the, and 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 in this case death um for death metal uh, you know the the namesake is right there you know you get the name death metal from death and and uh you know uh, stay up praise chuck so i i just been jamming out the symbolic specifically i just i yeah, just that's the one it's so good man it's just like this weird fusion of neoclassical and the birth of technical death metal and it's so sweet it's not too shreddy but it's always relentless and brutal and dark and evil and um yeah not to sound like a hipster but that's like a record you really gotta you gotta just check out you gotta you gotta abuse it you gotta learn it you gotta love it and you gotta scream along you know yeah i think that's what makes him just like a little a little extra special to us is that he's viewed as like this you know this otherworldly being completely solidified and his legacy without within metal and music but he's just another another boy from long island man and you know it's yeah uh, yeah he he gets he gets that florida death metal tag um that a lot of people do but he's from the islands man and um unfortunately because i got such hometown pride like that draws me to him a little more than the next guy um, you know, I've always loved the Steve Vise, the Satriani's and, and, you know, like the, the guys that are Long Island greats, but still, I don't care where the hell you're from. Um, symbolic by death is just like a timeless record, man. I, I'd be hard pressed to disagree when I was younger and like first really started getting into death metal. I was always a scream bloody gore guy. Cause you know, it was the closest yeah. to thrash and I just give me fast, stupid fucking metal, but Symbolic really is quintessential death, quintessential death metal. Uh, the second and last album to feature Gene Hoagland, who just fit in seamlessly and just added that extra flourish to songs like Perennial Quest and and Crystal Mountain that you couldn't really get from anyone else. And oh, yeah, yeah, great album. Uh, for me, I'll I'll my recommendation will be an album that needs no introduction and one that I jammed today and was very happy to have done so. And that is none other than the most important album of the year 2000. And that is Linkin Park's hybrid theory. New metal is what it is. Linkin Park was who they were. I don't think I have heard a debut album as monumental as hybrid theory in my life. Uh, it is an album that immediately stuck with me and has stuck with me to this day. Just Chester at his fucking best. Mike's Noda with some great fucking verses all throughout. Just hybrid theory. Just go listen to hybrid theory. I also bumped the sickness. I was feeling myself. Nice. What did uh, I, uh, what did I call hybrid theory to you? It was, it was like, the Boston you called it city. our generation's Boston self-titled. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fucking hey, fair listen, comparison, man. You, you know, I, I am absolutely like a shameless, like metal elitist. You can't tell me that Papercut 
Come on. Is, that is that is a good good ass tune, man. That is that is a good one, man. Um so that's what we got here for our our special treat of an episode, you lucky duckies you. And so after this, like I said, looking at a calendar real quick, looks like the next episode will not be until May 7th, all right? So you guys are going to have to go a little bit without the single most important podcast to have released in the last two years. Hey, hey, fans, fans. Yo, congrats to boy Damien. We we all got to congrats to boy Damien for tying the knot, bro. Congrats, I'm a, man. I am a I am a man with a wife. Making the quantum leap. Yo, so so understand the time off. It, 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 don't worry. It's all for it's all for good purpose. Congratulations, bro. And I promise that Ryan will be here delivering tweets unto the people. Don't worry. Oh, don't worry. Uh yeah, you know, it's 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 uh it's going to be great and hopefully by the time I come back we'll have a bunch of great shit to talk about. And and look, we know that not everybody listens for the recaps, right? And we don't love doing nothing but recap episodes. We've talked about it before. It's a little bit hard to get into somebody's back catalog back catalog when it's, you know, it's it's nothing but recaps and if you didn't watch that event and you didn't watch it, it is what it is. So, once we come back, you know, listen, mania is over. Wrestle Kingdom's not for a while. We don't got Dominion for a while. Well, of course, we'll we'll talk about our current events. We got to make sure you guys stay informed. But we will be returning to some interviews and returning to some more in-depth historical pieces. Think pieces. Uh, you know, think pieces. The things that the people want here. Um, but things are looking up, my friends. Uh, Mania season is behind us. It's a new day. Yes, it is. So... Until we meet again, dear friends, for Ryan, for Matt, and for myself, this has been the most electrifying, must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. This has been FFC.